Hello. It seems that many organizations are finding it more difficult to recruit and retain people and even to find the skills that they need. This might have been an issue before the pandemic, but it seems much more widespread now, perhaps because so much has changed in terms of people's aspirations and their choices. So how is this impacting the way workplace experiences are delivered? And how can we make sure that they're good enough to retain the skills and the talent that we need? We're going to talk about that right now. Welcome to AWA's podcast, which is all about the changing world of work and trying to figure out what's right for each organization, because we know that everyone is unique. We talk to people who have walked the walk, who've got the t-shirt and who've learned lessons that they're happy to share with us. I'm your host, Karen Plum, and this is The DNA of Work. We've talked about workplace experiences in recent episodes, and we've also talked about the importance of treating employees as consumers of the workplace. These are big changes and ideas for many workplaces to think about. So how do we need to go about delivering the experiences and the workplaces that our organizations need? Here to discuss this with me are three guests, all of whom work with clients and deliver training in this field, so we're in good hands. AWA's founder and managing director, Andrew Mawson, is joined by director of consulting, Brad Taylor, and Lucy James, managing director of Larch Consulting. If we want to curate and deliver targeted, well-thought-through workplace experiences, then it makes sense that we have to manage the workplace itself. So I started by asking Lucy how workplaces have traditionally been managed. Well, I'm not sure that it was managed in an integrated way. I think that you'd got the HR teams looking at the work experience and the relationship experience, perhaps that kind of management and hierarchy relationship. And then I don't think there was very much strategic looking after the physical, the kind of sense of place in that relationship. And we've often talked about that interface between people, process and place, as if that was something that workplace professionals were looking after. But actually, it didn't really happen like that because place was looked after by property and facilities, people who mended things that broke and people were looked after by HR and process tended to be looked after by IT and technology. So this pulling together of that curated workplace experience that looks at the whole journey through the day and all the things that you would need in terms of physical facilities, collaboration facilities, social interactions, meetings, one-on-ones, all of that sort of thing. I think this is really the first time with the development of that workplace management approach that it's being recognised that all of that comes together in an integrated way and that that is what makes the workplace experience Because I think people talked about the workplace experience without imagining that a key responsibility, a key role needed to be created to actually look at all of those facets rather than it just coming together without any sort of organised management of that. Probably the only time that that ever was looked at was when there was a move, if they were moving premises and then these teams would get together and they would think about how do they want to do things. And that's typically where you see the great divide between all the the different functions as well you know it asking hr you know how do we want people to work in the future hr saying well i don't know what can the technology do then how will that be configured environment it it only really got thought about in those sort of moves and then afterwards ironically it all went back to the way that they run things previously and, and the functions didn't talk to one another 
And therefore, the whole experience wasn't necessarily maintained in its thinking in the same way that perhaps hopefully it was when a move took place. So is this all down to that very siloed approach of having, as Lucy said, HR looking after the people and FM looking after the premises and IT looking after the technology? All of those areas have got very specific objectives and drivers and budgets and they're looking at it from their perspective. They're not looking at it in a joined up way. Yeah. And, you know, that's how it's been for time immemorial, it seems to me. But um, I think now that we have to think deeply about the experience that we first of all design and then deliver, we have to get those functions operating, you know, to, to a single tune, really. And it has to be a unique tune associated with the organization that they're, they're involved with. And at the moment, I mean, it's quite interesting. You think through a number of different touch points that the individual employee has from the moment they're recruited all the way through their life in the in the workplace. And remember that this workplace is no longer an office for many people. Every moment they're receiving some form of support or message about how the organization feels about them. And it seems to me this is becoming a really important strategic tool if you leave it to chance, I think you're wasting an important resource that you could turn into something which is quite powerful. Does this require a very strategic realignment of those functions so that they can come together as one? There's a necessity at the moment organisations are finding themselves with, which is how do we define what the experience of work is now, given all of the changes that are going on in the world and how people are relating to organizations and their career paths and, and how they want their lives to pan out generally. So that's causing businesses to look around and say, well, actually, who do I turn to here to be able to galvanize the workplace experience and the way that we're going to work effectively? And that may start with, you know, the chief people officer or the CIO or the ops director. But ultimately, those teams realize that they have to start talking to each other because they all hold a piece of the picture. They all have a lens into it in some way or other. And so we're starting to see these teams come together to tackle the issue. But of course, the next bit is how do they integrate effectively to be able to bring their skill sets and, and maximize the abilities that they have to create a compelling workplace experience? I can remember when we used to run management training courses kind of back in the 90s and we were talking about kind of drivers for change and we'd talk about the concept of the burning platform and it was very kind of conceptual wasn't it but when you have something like the pandemic where you genuinely do have a burning platform where suddenly IT have to talk to facilities have to talk to HR because there is a sudden emergency requirement for people to work in a different way then although that was a dreadful period for all the reasons that we know, it did force a collaboration and it did force an acceleration of acceptance of things like using new technologies that would have taken absolutely years to happen gradually. And I think, firstly, people have surprised themselves with how tech-able they are across all of the generations and how flexible they can actually be and that they can work in places that they didn't think they could work. So it's given the workforce themselves much more pause for thought about what is work. I still work for this company, even though I haven't been in for two years. So I'm still adding value and doing my job. So it has 
enables that dialogue to come to the fore, both, I think, at the tops of organisations where that strategic decision making is made, but also for people doing the work, thinking, well, actually, what does work mean to me? What do I like about my job? How much importance do I attach to going to places, seeing people? What do I need to actually get things done? And I think if we'd asked people that before, which obviously we did in the work that we did, then nobody was really sure organisationally or individually. But now they've had two years to really think about it. They've got much more of a sense of what they need and what they like, what they would enjoy and what they don't really like about the work experience now that they've got more choice about whether to go back, do something else, stay at home, get another job. So I think lots of people, both organisationally and individually, have had a really deep think about it that we couldn't have got them to do in other situations. I would agree with that. But I think that having got through the pandemic and slipped back into sort of some normality, I think those some of those imperatives feel like they've kind of left us a bit. And so I think what we've got is a bit of a void because this idea of the workplace experience, it's kind of everybody's job, but it's kind of nobody's job as well there isn't really anybody in organizations that we come across apart from very occasionally whose day job is to worry about the first of all the the design of that experience what do we want that experience to be what does it need to be and then the ongoing delivery of it and i think that's where there is a sort of a vacuum at the moment which many of us have been talking about a, a new emerging role um, the chief workplace officer or the chief workplace experience officer for some time. But it seems to me its time is coming very rapidly because HR have a tendency to be interested in you know, recruitment policy process and very good at it as well. FM tend to be a bit more sort of interested in the day-to-day delivering stuff And, of course, real estate are more interested generally in providing the containers in which the work is undertaken. So there isn't really anybody working on behalf of the chief exec or the COO to make all this happen. And I think that's a sort of a a waste of of an opportunity, really. I think that's where I think we may see some evolution in the short term. I mean, in terms of guiding people towards that sort of a a way of thinking, I think we wanted to talk about the workplace management framework um, to introduce that to people. How would you define workplace management, Andrew? For me, it's the role which is about coordinating all the different parties to, first of all, define what the organisation's experience needs to be. And I don't mean that just in terms of um, how it looks. For me, this is about every sense and every moment and, and thinking very strategically about what every sense and every moment can deliver, both in terms of function and in terms of impression. And it requires somebody to, first of all, pull the parties together to define what that needs to be. And then ultimately, needs somebody who can then coordinate different elements and monitor how it's going, be involved in its evolution. Somebody who's constantly thinking about how can that experience evolve to give us some edge in the marketplace and also tune much more into different groups needs within the organization itself so that's how i define it 
we're not doing this for its own sake. We're doing this to deliver some form of competitive advantage for the organization to leverage those sorts of capabilities. The workplace management framework sets out a number of competencies, sort of activities that are recommended that people focus on in order to bring all of these different strands together. Lucy, can you um, give us a little bit of background on the workplace management framework, how it came into being? Well, it was an interesting initiative, actually, because Andrew contacted a number of workplace consultants that he knew in the UK marketplace to say that AWA wanted to pull together this strategic model. And we thought, I don't know, why do we all want to work together on something when we're all doing the same thing? And then I think there was some general sort of, we're in fierce agreement, if you like, that everybody was working to the same principles and that it would be a good idea for the profession as a whole to develop a set of guidelines and a framework that would help all of our clients into that bigger picture workplace management approach. And so, um, as I remember it, the sort of brains behind it, Graham Jervis and Andrew, pulled together a peer group and then we worked and developed it together. So it went through a very sort of robust peer review process with lots of people working in the same field, but not in the same organisations to come together to say, well, this is what we all think is a strategic approach to workplace that is going to drive that area of thinking forward. So it's a useful, well, it is a framework, it's a useful structure that helps to explain to an organisation how all of these things are interrelated. And the fact that it's quite graphical in the way the model has been developed, which is something that I think didn't come out of the first iteration. And we were sort of pushing for that and saying, well, all the stuff is there, but it's still quite listy, that now it's visualised as that holistic, circular approach with everything interrelated. That's a really helpful way, I think, to show organisations how all of these elements need to be taken as a whole. If you want to look at workplace as an experience rather than individual lenses on individual things that you might focus on. So Andrew, is this uh, has it framework remained an AWA thing or is it endorsed by an industry body? The framework was always designed to be a kind of cross-party initiative really because I think a number of us felt pretty frustrated that there was no clarity around what good looked like for the industry and also to raise you know, elevate this a little bit strategically. But since its formation, we've had a lot of success, uh, particularly in the US, with IFMA recognising the the framework. In fact, there is now sort of an IFMA version of it. And we built a training programme with IFMA around the whole thing, which has four different kind of components to it. But over a period of time, you can basically work with your peers to learn much more about the... um, the model and how it hangs together. And um, we've had something like 75 people have gone through that now, and it's becoming mainstream within IFMA, as it's recognised, I think, that this is kind of a new discipline. It's not going to replace FM or HR or any of these other things. We see it very much as a coordinating initiative, and it's giving rise to a new language, a new kind of way of looking at the whole uh, the whole world. So, yeah, I think we're having some success, but I think we're still in the early days, really. You know, we're also in the business of preparing people for a new role at um, 
you know, we think is going to exist, as I mentioned before, is what we can label as a chief workplace officer or a chief workplace experience officer. Right. Looking at the framework, there are different um, competencies, as I mentioned earlier, things like client relationship management, uh, risk management, project management, change management. But at the heart of the model is strategic management. So, Brad, what is strategic management in a workplace sense? Strategic management in the workplace sense is thinking about, in terms of the organisation, what's the organisation trying to do? What is its strategic aspirations? Where does it need to be in the future? And through understanding those broader goals, thinking about, well, what does the workplace need to be able to provide? What does the experience of the workplace need to be able to provide in order to attract, retain the type of talent and capability that we're going to need to be able to deliver those broader strategic goals in the future. So it's moving away from a responsive on-demand request style response to what happens in the workplace to something that's much more about understanding how do people behave and why do they behave the way in which they do? And how does the environment and the processes and the systems and all those things that we put in place influence and enable people to perform at their very best, to do the things that we need them to do as an organisation to achieve our broader goals. And therefore, I think one of the things that people who go through this programme particularly get excited about is that the, the level of conversation is elevated to a much more strategic level um, about how do you influence a leadership team, a senior leadership team made up of different disciplines, all with their own personal and functional interests, as well as the broad organisational goals? How do you influence them in a way that they start thinking about workplace experience in a much more strategic way and therefore become true sponsors of the projects and the programmes that need to be put in place to deliver that sort of change throughout the entire organisation? And done well, it can make a significant difference on the performance, the sustainability and the attractiveness of the organisation to future talent. One of the things that I think is is really helpful about the training, the modules, is that as well as introducing those concepts, there's actually quite a lot of how to in there. So if you're coming along and thinking, I'm interested in this, I'm in, in one of these areas and I would like to become more of a workplace experienced person, there's a lot of information in there in that peer-to-peer learning environment about how would I do that? How would I start? What would I say? How would I get an initiative like that kicked off? What do I say to my board? How do I get this onto the agenda? How do I start to build a case for it? What sort of people do I need to work with? And I think a lot of training and development misses out on the how to do it. So we've got lots in there about the what it is and why it's important. And of course, that's in there. But also what is valuable is how to start, what to do, how to garner support, how to get it into the C-suite. And I think that is a really important part of the development, because I think it would have been easy to talk about the framework and how you might apply that and how you might use it without ever really giving people the confidence to take it upstairs and say, we need to do this thing and this is how we can get going with it. Yes, because I think for so many years, the people in these functions like FM, corporate real estate, HR, um, IT, haven't been at the top table. 
and haven't had that strategic input to the board or the senior leadership team. So they're not used to operating at that level. And it's probably quite scary. Yeah, it's quite daunting. I mean, knowing that you are received and thought of in a certain way as a function means that you you have to change your approach and you've got to be able to start to have conversations and the confidence to have those conversations in a way that people will see you differently for the first time and think about your role differently. And it can be done. And that's one of the values of the program is it builds up those skills over time about how to create, as Lucy was saying, that sort of case for change, that compelling vision of what could be achieved and getting a leadership team on board with that. And also understanding how to understand where people in the organization are, both in terms of their rational understanding of the the change that's going to happen and their emotional engagement with the change as well. And then thinking about what can we do to influence them to get them where we need them to be, to be able to make this something that the organization uh, achieves successfully. I'm just thinking that, you know, if you do manage to elevate the discussion, elevate your input to that sort of senior level and start to make some inroads into the design and delivery of positive workplace experiences. I guess it's not a one-time fix, right? We talked about this on the podcast recently. And one of the key challenges, I suppose, is to change the way services are delivered and monitored and costed and how flexible they are to change over time because organizations are changing all the time, right? You can't have fixed agreements that it just doesn't work anymore. Well, first of all, I mean, you know, whatever you do, you've got to design for change. I mean, I think that is a kind of a given. But there is a need, I think, to continue to, to innovate around the workplace experience. And, you know, and as we said earlier on, there are lots of different parties involved in delivering a workplace experience. Some are more obvious than others. And there are also, you know, different service providers. So they all need to be kind of coordinated. They all need to have measurements that are integrated so that you can get a sense for how well the experience is actually delivering what you set out to deliver. There's a lot of work to do and there's an evolution. I think, you know, the chief workplace officer needs to be somebody who's continually scanning the horizon to identify what competitors are doing and not just competitors in their core business, but competitors for the labor that they're hiring. And what other innovations might be out there? And as I said before, the workplace experience is no longer about what goes on in an office. We have to start thinking about the experience that we deliver through technology and also in people's homes and how we discharge our duty of care to people who are simply not going to be in offices very much at all. So I think all of this coming together you know, creates a new, very exciting intellectual challenge for those who are in the um, business of grasping this subject. I think it's been a long time, hasn't it, since employers have had to compete for staff in the way that they are now and compete for skills. And we're seeing that there's quite a divide, really, between the kind of oldest generations in the workplace and the youngest generations. And certainly one of the things that we're seeing with the youngest people, the Gen Z people, is that they've been very frustrated about all the time they've had to spend indoors and at home and a lot of people in that generation want a workplace experience so they don't really want to work from their bedroom at their mum and dad's anymore and so they want to go into a workplace that is like the workplaces they've seen on television and on the web 
And so they want to go somewhere to go to work, but they also don't want to go nine to five, Monday to Friday. And so they're coming with a set of requirements that are much more demanding than we've been used to expecting from young people starting on their journey. And I mean, we've we've all seen that in our own organisations where you're interviewing people and coming on board and they've got a list of requirements. You know, they don't want to be in every day and they want to know if they can have a sabbatical and there are particular projects in areas that they don't want to work on because they don't want to work in that sector because they're very values driven. And they're coming with a sort of shopping list of what they want from the workplace. And they're quite demanding customers, which is great. But I think, you know, 30 years ago, when we were starting recruiting people, then you just sort of said, well, this is what there is. You got what you got. (laughs) There's a horrible commute. And at the end of it, there's a horrible office. And everybody would have put up with that. But because people are consumers in all areas of their lives now I mean you look at the changes the university sector have had to make for students since we were all students that the expectation now is of a much higher experience than it would have been 30 40 years ago and that's translating now into the workplace as well people have got quite clear demands and requirements and preferences even as they're joining workforces and they're the people that we really need to bring in and keep because that's the talent for the future we've seen the rise i think of the individual as a brand you know rather than it to lose his point it used to be you were one of a collective and you all worked to the greater good of the organization and that's changed massively isn't it people thanks to technology and social media are much more aware now that they how they portray themselves to the world and what their personal identity is to the world and, and therefore how they want to contribute to the world of work. But I think following the pandemic, they are looking for those opportunities to come together collectively and to be able to identify with causes, great causes. But the way in which they want to do it is changing. And that's key for employers and organisations is to adapt and to be able to meet those needs and meet them in the space where they are now going. The landscape has shifted and organisations have got to go to that new territory. Thanks, Brad. I think you summed it up really well. The marketplace is fiercely competitive in terms of products and services, but now much more so for talent as well. And it calls for a new approach to take advantage of the opportunities. Many thanks to Lucy, Brad and Andrew for sharing their expertise and insights. It was such an interesting discussion. If you'd like to know more about the Workplace Management Framework or the course that we discussed, there are details in our show notes, or you could search online for IFMA, I-F-M-A, Workplace Strategy and Leadership Programme, and that should find the course for you. And of course, we're always delighted to hear from listeners if you'd like to explore the topic or find out more about how we could help you on your journey. Check out the show notes or head to our website, advanced-workplace.com. If you'd like to hear future episodes of the DNA of Work, just follow or like the show. You can contact us on our website, advanced-workplace.com. Thank you so much for listening. See you next time. Goodbye.